She had just turned 18 years old. She had wanted to be able to get out from under her mother and her father's roof. She wanted her freedom. And she found a man and married him. It wasn't long before she realized that she was pregnant. And her new husband was not happy that she was gaining weight and that her looks were changing due to the pregnancy. In fact, he was such an evil man that he decided he wanted to cause her to abort the child by scaring her, did a number of things to try to cause her to lose the child. After several months, the child was born, and he was committing adultery with other women. And after the child was born, he looked at himself, and one Wednesday night, he says, I'm not going home. And he left. He left a young woman, just now almost 19 years of age, with a young child, broke, and with a broken heart. Another young lady was reared in the church. Her father served as one of the deacons. She looked for a nice young man, and she found one. He was not reared by a Christian family. In fact, he was taught the truth while she was dating him and became a Christian. The two were just a beautiful young couple. Him, a young, handsome man, her, a young, beautiful lady. Very faithful at church. And one day at work, a terrible tragedy happened. A grenade went off in their office. He lost one of his eyes, damaged some of his hearing, and she nursed him all the way through that period of time which involved plastic surgery, the replacement of an eyeball with a fake eye, a lot of rehabilitation to the point he looked just normal again. Then one day she came in and she said, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving you. Here's a young man with a heart that has more pain in it than the damage caused by a grenade. Do you realize that as you think about that, I could multiply those are true stories of people I know. Not here, but elsewhere. Do you grieve in your heart for a broken-hearted spouse who's been cheated on, who's been left having a difficult time. Do you realize God has the same pain in His heart when His people choose to do that which is wrong? Josh read to us from Genesis chapter 6. It repented God that he had made man, and it grieved him in his heart. I hope that you understand as we study this lesson together, we're going to talk about two separate aspects. We're going to talk about the family, the relationship between a man and his wife, and we're going to also talk about 
our relationship as a part of the bride of Christ and how we grieve God when we cheat on Him. We are for today and next week I know and perhaps if weeks after that if the Lord allows, we'll study some of the book of Hosea. And I want to ask you now, if you will, to keep your Bible open to Hosea chapters 1 through 3. You see, the book of Hosea can be outlined in two major points. The first part is the tragedy of the home life in verses or chapters 1 through 3. And then tragedy in the homeland, chapters 4 through 14. This morning we're going to concentrate on chapters 1 through 3, and we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at the personalities. Who was involved in this? To do that, we've got to look at the husband, we've got to look at the wife, we've got to look at the children. Number two, we're going to look at the problems. What caused the heartache? If you step back and you look and see the sadness that's in that family, what caused it? Number three, the potential. Where do we want things to go? Whenever I do counseling, I always make sure I try to include the understanding is, how do you want things to be resolved? What is your goal? What, where do you want to end up? The book of Hosea addresses that. And then number four, to look at the prescription what will it take for us to get where we want to go? So let's begin our study. First of all, let's look at the husband. If you'll look at Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Hosea, the son of Deri. What do you know about Hosea? Well, his name means salvation, just like Joshua or Hoshea. Hosea means the Lord is salvation. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom during a period of prosperity. It was for them a golden age. Do you realize that people will look back at the opening of the 21st century and they will say that in our country we had a golden age. We had plenty of food. We had nice places to live. We had good transportation. We had reasonably good education. We too are living in a golden age and we don't realize it sometimes. We look at things around about us and we say, well, there are things that are not as they ought to be. Well, sure, they're not as they ought to be. The truth is they never are as they ought to be. But let me tell you something about Hosea that is remarkable. I know a lot of my preaching friends foolishly sometimes say, oh, I wish I was like one of the prophets. You do? You really want to be treated like they were treated by the people? Do you really want to have to deliver the messages that God called upon them to deliver? Do you realize that many of the prophets had to act out in their own lives the prophecies? And sometimes they weren't very pleasant. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18, Isaiah writes, Here am I. And the children whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Our family, 
is an example. Our family not only is an example, they're a sign. You come over to chapter 20 in verses 2 through 4. At the same time, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and remove the sackcloth from your body and take your sandals from off your feet. And so he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia. You see the sign and wonder? I'm going to tell you, folks, I don't want to walk around barefoot and naked. And you don't want me walking around barefoot and naked. But that was for a sign. Or you go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 16 and verse 2. Jeremiah is depressed. Everything looks bad around him. And God said, you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. Jeremiah, you can't have family. Hosea is going to be an example of God and Israel in his life. Hosea is going to endure the heartache that God endures because you know the reason why I began this lesson with two illustrations is because sometimes we have to see it in our own lives before we can appreciate it from God's perspective. So we'll talk about his wife, Gomer. Not an ordinary name but not an ordinary woman. If you look at verse 2, she is to be a wife of harlotry. He says, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land is committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Now there are several possible meanings of go take a wife of harlotry. Was she a harlot when he took her? Was she a temple prostitute? Was she a woman who was from a family of harlots? Or did she have the disposition? Did she have the attitude of a harlot? Well, I think you've got to look at the text and look at the parallels that exist there. And if this represents God in Israel, Israel was at peace and righteous with the Lord in the beginning. And they've chosen now to go astray. And the fact that he mentions children of harlotry, this indicates it's going to happen after he takes her. We're going to talk about that a little more in a moment. What she did was to leave him and conceive children by other men. You read in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born. And make her like the wilderness and like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are children of harlotry. Folks, 
That's not very pleasant to think about, either in his physical life nor in a spiritual sense. Later, when she realized that no one else loved her, she wanted to go back to her husband. And God told Hosea, take her back. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman loved by a lover and committing adultery, just as the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who go to other gods and look to other gods and love the cakes of raisins of the pagans. You've got to take her back. Now, it wouldn't be fair if I did not at least address the children as well. In chapter 1, he's going to talk about the children. We learn, first of all, that... He will have a son, and his name is Jezreel. Jezreel means God scatters. In chapter 1 and verse 3, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring it into the kingdom of the house of Israel. Just like a person would go out in a garden and scatter the seed. He said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to scatter the children of Israel. They're going to be scattered among the Assyrians is what would take place. But the second child is a daughter. Her name is Lo-Rahama. And I would like for you to think about how names meant something in those days. It wasn't just the name of the latest movie star or musician. The names then took on real meaning. Lo means not. Ruhama means loved. Can you imagine naming a child not loved? Chapter 1, verse 6, And she conceived again and bore a daughter, and then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhama, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. It's going to have, there will be a second son born to Gomer. But just like Lo-Ruhama, Lo-Ami is probably not, I would doubt at all, to be the child of Hosea. Verses 8 and 9, Now when she had weaned Lo-Rahama, she conceived and bore a son, and then God said, Call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now think about not only being named not love, but now one, you're not my kid. You're not my child. Do you see the sadness before you ever even start looking at the problems? Talk about a dysfunctional family. Here is a dysfunctional family. But don't look at Hosea and say, well, Hosea brought all this on himself. Hosea is a prophet of God. Hosea's enduring this because he's standing up for what God wants him to do. Well, then let's look at the problems. The main problem is the adultery of Gomer, what she had done. Evidently, she had this inclination when he married her. Do you know there's some people who have inclinations to do things? How do they get those inclinations? Well, some people say, well, I'm born with something. A lot of it's learned behavior. Israel 
According to Hosea 11 and verse 7, he says, My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the most high, none at all exalt him. I come to the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 14, and he says, Having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have their heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. You can train your mind by giving in to lust and looking and thinking and that's exactly what Gomer did. Second problem that Gomer had and Israel had, she did not know who provided for her. In fact, she had a warped sense. In chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, For their mothers played the harlot. She has conceived them, has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, my drink. Drop down to verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her grain and new wine and oil and multiplied for her gold and silver which they prepared for Baal. You see, in her mind, everybody else is taking care of me, but God said, no. Hosea was the one that's taking care of you, just like I am taking care of Israel. Often, people realize too late they had it how good they had it when they are deceived by this allurement. Let me give you some illustrations from Hosea and then from elsewhere. In Hosea chapter 2 verse 7, she will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. She says, you know, I've been chasing all these other people and they don't want me to catch them because they don't want to provide for me. They don't want to take care of me. Okay, I'll go back to my husband. Sound very similar to what you find in Luke chapter 15, verses 14 through 19. You know the prodigal son, what he did? He had gone into a far country. He had wasted his father's inheritance with riotous living. He then began to be in want. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him in his fields to feed swine. You know how bad that had to have been for a Jewish man. But in verse 17, he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father. You see, I'm going to go back. Sometimes people don't realize till too late what it is they are giving up. That's a problem in our world today. People always think the grass is greener over the next hill or the next person is prettier or better or something else. The problem is, many times, we live in a world of temptation. You cannot escape the fact that there is temptation in this world. In James 1, 12 through 14, Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown which, of life which the Lord promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But every man is drawn away. Each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. I can't go and blame somebody else for the temptations which I am confronted with. Genesis 4, verse 7. Do you remember Cain and Abel? God accepted Abel's sacrifice. He rejected Cain's. That really made Cain mad. The Bible says his countenance was fallen. He became angry. God dealt kindly with Cain to begin with. He said to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you not do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There is temptation at the door of every one of us. But you have got to make the decision in your mind, you're going to rule over it. In Matthew 26, verse 41, Peter, James, and John had been taken by the Lord into the Garden of Gethsemane. He left them at an outer part there. And the Lord had said, you stay here and you watch and pray while I go go yonder. And when the Lord came back, he found them asleep. Here's what he told them. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. They were sleepy. They were tired. There will be times in your life when you are weak and sin will present itself before you. And rather than giving in, you should be watching and you should be praying. Romans 14 or 13 verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't provide a means. Don't provide a way for it. I wouldn't be fair to you if I, was, if I did not at least mention some of the problems that exist in our society today, some of the temptations, so you can understand it. Texting that occurs between unmarried folks and a method of it today that's even referred to as sexting where people give lurid details in their texts from one another. Internet chats. Being too familiar with a person who's not your spouse. Proverbs 4.15 says, Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Folks, you've got to learn to say no to sin and to temptation. I've got to add this as a part of it. I read this last week, a little blurb on one of the things. Do your clothes leave you overexposed? We live in a society today that does not think anything about wearing immodest clothing, provocative clothing. Do you realize that if you wear a certain kind of clothing, that you're advertising Hey, I'm loose. I'm free. In Proverbs 7, verse 10, And there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. 
Christian women ought to be ashamed of what some of the clothes they're wearing. Just like Gomer wore. Number three, the potential. As sad as this story is, there is hope. When you look at the occasion that occurs in Hosea 1 through 3, folks, my heart bleeds for Hosea. But when you look at the response, you will see one of the things is is that things that are broken can sometimes be put back together. Here is Hosea. He has been betrayed. His wife has had children by other men. And you know it had to have broken his heart. But going back to chapter 3, he says, The Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who's loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself. Fifteen shekels of silver and one and a half omers of barley. I bought her. Do you realize that she evidently is now up for sale? Can you imagine in the beginning he took her as his wife, would have paid a dowry for her? Now he's got to buy her again. And he's willing to pay for her. Sometimes even the innocent people have to work hard to restore a broken marriage. We often emphasize that the guilty need to humble themselves and repent of the things they've done wrong, that's right. But if the innocent, the good people, are willing to put forth some effort, sometimes that which is broken can be fixed. Second potential. The product of sinful behavior can become something good. He said, then I will sow her for myself in the earth. And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. That's low Rahama. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Picture this, low Rahama and low Ami, those two children that are not Hosea's. I love you. You're mine. And he accepts those children into the family just like they are his. Before you forget, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, God says to those who are not his people, you are my people. In 1 Peter 2, 10, you know what that refers to? Us. Us Gentiles. God loves us. God says, you are my people. Think about that. Though a person may be confronted with many temptations, it's not necessary to give in. There's potential there. 
In 2 Peter 2 and verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. I know that every temptation I face, I have the ability to match it because God will not allow me to be tempted beyond my ability. And he'll also make a way of escape that I may be able to endure it, to bear it. I can learn from my own mistakes, of which there are many, and I can learn from the mistakes of others. There's a potential there, folks. I never will forget sitting in Brother Tom Holland's preparation delivery of sermons class. And uh, the question came up about going and seeing dirty movies. That was actually the way it was phrased. Brother Holland, you ever been to see a dirty movie? He said, nope, not going to. And he says, well, how do you know how bad they are if you've never been? He says, I don't have to eat out of a garbage can to know what trash is. I can learn from the mistakes of other people. And God expected, and I will tell you this, if you go on and study Jeremiah, he expected Judah to learn from the mistakes of Israel. The prescription now. How do I get where I want to be? Do you really want a happy marriage? I'm talking about one that is good and thriving. Do you want a right relationship with the Lord that is also good and thriving? Two words. Be faithful. Be faithful. Being faithful doesn't mean you won't make mistakes, but being faithful does mean that you are loyal. Nurture your marriage with your spouse and your spiritual relationship with the Lord. I'm not going to go into detail, but I do want to point you to a couple of passages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 1 through 5, Paul would say, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Then he goes on to explain, Nevertheless, because of fornication, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. God said, I have a plan for the physical desires that are in man. Every man have his own wife, every woman have her own husband. And then he gets a little more specific about what all that involves, the intimacy that's involved. You go to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Drink waters from your own cistern and running waters from your own well. You may think, well, he's just talking about using what's yours. But then he goes on to say, should your Fountains be dispersed abroad, or your streams of water in the streets. Let them be for you and your own only, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. 
He's saying you have a relationship that is exclusive. You don't share yourself. You don't share your wife. The prescription involves resisting. Yes, there are going to be temptations in front of you. But in James 4 verse 7 he says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I had a good friend, preached in Middle Tennessee, grew up in um, town of Cookville. Can't think of the name of it right now. But uh, he was a teenager dating. And a young lady got in the car with him and they went to the movies. They went to drive in. And uh, she got a little frisky. Started removing clothes. He was trying to think, how do I get out of this? All he could think of was singing the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. You'd be surprised. That stopped it. That stopped it. He took her home. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. Now here is one that's extremely important. Consider the consequences. I know people sometimes don't think. They just, just let things happen. But I want you to listen carefully. I'm going, to, I'm going to slow down for this, even if I go over two or three minutes. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? And can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not be innocent. And you drop down a few verses to verse 32. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get. And his reproach will not be wiped away. For a husband, jealousy of a husband's fury, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will be appeased, though man give many gifts. He's talking about a man who does this. You need to be ready. If you're going to commit adultery with somebody else's wife to get a good beating. Because you deserve it. And God talks about this husband's jealousy being a fury. I just think about David. When David's on his rooftop and he looks over there and he sees Bathsheba, is he thinking about the consequences of what he's about to do? Does he consider that one of his most loyal servants, Uriah, who was a Hittite, he's going to be killed because of that? Does he consider that the child that is going to die Two deaths because of that sin. Well, that's not at all. 
later his son Absalom, humbled his father David by committing a shameful act with the king's harem in the sight of all Jerusalem. And what could David do but hang his head and say, I brought every bit of this on myself. So many people don't understand this cheating on your spouse will come back to you. And Numbers 32, 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Oh, we're going to hide it. We're going to hide it good. Yeah, right. There's a lot of sadness and grief in this world. Those two illustrations I began with at the beginning, one of them is a close relative of mine. The other one is a marriage I performed. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard to sit with people and see them cry and see the heartache of those who've been betrayed. I'd like for you to consider the sadness that exists in heaven when God looks down and He sees one of us, His children, cheating on Him. But there can be joy and reconciliation. In Luke 15 and verse 7, I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Folks, let me just put it simple to you this morning. If you're not a Christian, you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins and have those sins washed away. Before you can be baptized properly, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. You have to repent of your sins and you have to confess Him as your Lord. If you're one of God's children and you are estranged from Him right now, it's not going to get any better until you make things right. And this is your opportunity. Would you come as we stand and sing?